0: There's not much LeBron has done wrong. It's pretty wild to just look it's at crazy the, the, the track record. Like maybe Space Jam two, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it was, all right. it was all right. but He got his back for that, so I, I won't I won't get him. And that that was his introduction into into Hollywood.
1: We need to be doing that a podcast that combines sports, social media content, and life. I'm Jonah Ballo. I'm Keith Steckler. I'm Elliot Gerard. We Need to Be Doing That is a Heartland Group production. Come on. We need to be doing that. All right, guys, we are welcoming in a very special guest to the podcast today. I'm sure a lot of baseball fans out there recognize his work as a 296 lifetime batting average, 162 home runs for the New York Mets, should be in the Hall of Fame. Boy, how did we land Keith Hernandez today on the podcast?
0: Oh, Mets. oh, oh no! Wait, guys, guys, guys. That doesn't uh, sound like uh, Keith Hernandez. I, I am Keith Hernandez, uh, but I'm not the Keith Hernandez that you you might have thought that you were getting. Can uh, you turn
1: your vid? Can you turn your video on real quick? <laughs> I don't.
0: <laughs> there you go. Can you see me now? I'm Holy sure, shit! Uh, I'm oh. sure this is the first time that that's
1: ever happened to you. But uh, this is Keith Hernandez, the uh, founder, and partner at Launch Angle. Uh, a very exciting guest. We all know Keith uh, from various sort of interactions at, at conferences and on podcasts. So it's, it's great to have you on. You were also the SVP revenue strategy and branded content at uh, Bleacher Report and president at Slate Magazine. Some some really great credentials. I, I, you know, and I honestly think better than the the
0: baseball player. So Thanks. it's great oh, to, thank have,
1: you. to have you on to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, you, you should be the, in the marketing hall of fame. I
0: appreciate <laughs> there that. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah, we, we both we both get overlooked for the Hall of Fame right now. We're, we're, I don't know when this is going to actually be uh, aired, but, you know, yesterday was another tough day for Keith Hernandez, uh, the baseball players, Hall of Fame credentials. Once again, uh, Hall of Fame, forgetting about defensive statistics and how that can change the game and only focusing on the home run. Bummer.
1: Now, off air, you were telling us this amazing story about the Keith Hernandez name change up, mix up. If you can just recite that again, that'd be great. I yeah think.
0: absolutely yeah i mean i i have to just embrace it right like it's one of those things where um at, let me start with this because i think this is pretty funny i found out a couple years ago talking to my mother having a drink with her you know about my name because i've had it my whole whole life this kind of miscommunication or, or people thinking i was related in some way she told me i'm, I'm not named after him because he he was a baseball player for the cardinals when i was born i'm actually named after keith richards Uh, which is such a funny, I was like, why would you name me after a guitarist for the Rolling Stones? She's like, I don't know. I just really like the name and I, and I really like the Rolling Stones. So that's like a fun little wrinkle in it. So I've always dealt with it and I've always kind of laughed around it. Um, but something really difficult happened to, to my family, uh, during, uh, between hurricane irma and hurricane maria Uh, so my father i'm I'm half puerto rican my father was down in puerto rico he took care of his parents my grandparents as they kind of were uh, slowly passing away um after hurricane irma he lost the ability to get his medication he had uh heart problems and unfortunately passed away between irma and maria And i got the news a couple of days before maria was about to hit couldn't get down there it took me a couple of months to actually get down there and during that time i was you know really frustrated with how the united states was handling it really frustrated about the fact that we weren't getting things accomplished to to help puerto rico the same way that we're helping florida and texas with the hurricanes that hit them uh, at the same time so i wrote this op-ed for the huffington post Kind of calling out Donald Trump and and all the BS uh, that was going on. I mean, he was literally, if you remember this, throwing paper towels at the audience. And these paper. are people, I mean, toilet paper who yeah. who were who were homeless, who were destitute. You know, didn't know where their family was, and this is he he did that and got back on a plane. So I wrote this big fu to to him, and it got a lot of traction. A lot of pe- different people picked it up. And, you know, my Twitter blew up (laughs) on both good and bad side of things. And at the time, MSNBC reached out to me because they really wanted me to talk about this. They said, we'd love your out We'd love for you to talk about it. Um, Unfortunately, uh, as we all know, news is an onslaught these days, and there's never just one major story. And so as I was about to go on... They cut me uh, to go right to the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, uh, the news uh, of, of the, the I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but the, the woman who, who kind of came forward just got announced. I'm sitting there in my suit ready to go on. And they said, sorry, I couldn't do it. All good. No worries. I know how that happens. The news never thought about it again. About a year later, I get an email from a different MSNBC supervising producer who wants me to come on and talk about a reflection on, on Hurricane Maria a year after hurricane maria and i go listen i'm pretty busy <laughs> you know i, I kind of like knew this world like you know you get you get booked and then crazy things happen i'm pretty busy i don't know if i can make it He was like no we really really want you on listen we'll send a town car to pick you up we'll drive you to the station no no questions asked and i was like my suit's not even ready he was like we got a suit presser we'll, we'll get it nice and clean we'll get you ready to go like there's makeup here we'll do anything to have you on we think it's really important to hear from, from somebody like you on, on this matter. And something kind of like this this part of me just was like, all right, this is weird. I'm nobody. This guy shouldn't care much about me. So I email, I email him on the side, take all the other people off and go, you know I'm not the baseball player Keith Hernandez, right? Hit send. 10 seconds later, my phone rings. He goes, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh no. He was like, oh man, I thought you were... The baseball player Keith Hernandez, and he's Republican, and he sides with Trump a lot, and and we we thought it was really interesting that you know you would like you would attack him on this is like nope different person, and I won't I won't blow his spot, I won't say where he works and 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 on what on what show, but he was like, can we just forget this ever happened? <laughs> we're not going to send the town car for you, we're not going to press your suit, we're not going to give you a dinner. uh We we wanted the baseball player Keith Hernandez, so so that that, that that's the biggest booking story. The other side of it is. Um, as you know, he's you know had that career in the 80s, but also is now a you know, color commentator for the New York Mets. Um, I, I've been in ad- advertising sales my whole life. And one of the things that I have to do is entertain clients all the time. And so one of the things that I've realized is if I call really hard to get into restaurants with no lies and just say, Hey, I would love a table for four for Keith Hernandez at seven thirty. I get that table, <laughs> and no questions asked. Um, it does turn into—I don't know if you remember that ESPN commercial with the with the Michael Jordans, where where there's the it looked it's like a black car driver is holding up a sign that says michael jordan and this like frumpy white guy comes down and he, the look of disappointment in their face uh yeah. that's usually what happens at the restaurants <laughs> i walk in they i give them my id i, sh- I tell them it's my table and you can kind of see them like whispering in the back like oh man we blew it <laughs> like, yeah. we should have it's asked really- more questions
2: that's literally like a um, Seinfeld episode, and it's kind of uh, funny because he was on Seinfeld. So. Oh, yeah.
0: And, and I personally, I love that Seinfeld episode because if it does hit on WPIX, I get, I, that's the day my phone blows up. I'll get text messages <laughs> or phone calls from old buddies that I haven't seen in like 15, 20 years. Like, yo, the Keith Hernandez episode's on. Hope you're well. Like, saw your mom the other day. Hope you're doing well. How's the fam? So <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate it, and, and I embrace it because it's ridiculous.
1: That's awesome. That's That's a great story. I think this would be a good starting point with your time at Bleacher Report. And I'm curious about this as well. I've worked in the editorial space as well and marketing. But from your perspective, I mean, 2017 is lifetimes ago, right? In terms of technology and content and content creation and where we're at now. From your time at Bleacher Report at 2017 to where we sit now at 2022, what have you seen as the the shift and the biggest changes within content creation?
0: Yeah. Um, so my time at Bleach Report was really fun, um, but one of the more interesting parts, I was brought over by the CEO at the time, Dave Finocchio, who was one of the co-founders. And the story was they had built this robust advertising business on display advertising, and they thought that they could sell something on brand in branded content in social media sponsorships. And it's just wild to think about in 2017, 2016, that was in the sports world. That wasn't really a money maker That wasn't a thing that, that you would put a lot of effort into and a lot of investment in. So for me, that's one of the biggest things where 2016, 2017, we were talking about could branded content work for athletes? Do athletes want to be their own personal brands? Do they want to build their own businesses? Do they care about creativity or do they just want to hold an item in a, in a 15 or 30 second TV spot and, and get out of there with a you know 10K payday? Uh, so, so that thing, you know, just on like the changes when, and, and you all know this cause you talk to athletes in, in the way that athletes understand the advertising business and understand the creative business and have matured so quickly has been so fun and fascinating to watch.
2: Yeah, that, that is, that is true. Like, I really feel like most athletes now understand in some, some way, shape or form that they, I feel like, you know, 10 years ago, most of them did not.
0: Oh. Yeah, and and they didn't have to, right? Like uh, it, it's what what I really love. What I'm most passionate about is you know, listen, LeBron James will be fine. Steph Curry will be fine, right? They're building their production studios, and and they have their you know miniature golf shows. It's it's more of the athletes that I'm fascinated with are like the Spencer Didwitties, the Karis Leverts, the Carl Anthony Towns that are. All NBA, right? NBA All-Stars, but they don't have that name recognition, how they're quietly building out these production studios, how they're smartly diversifying what they're doing outside of the game. And they look at their NBA day job as just that, right? As like one part of their portfolio. That's really exciting to me.
1: It really seemed to start with LeBron. I mean, we can talk about trendsetters throughout the eras, right, in all of sports. And Michael Jordan, probably you could say... From a business perspective, commercials, right? Taking his game to the next level, showing up in the suits, sort of how his his persona was um, e- either perceived or how he directed it throughout the time in in his time in the NBA. But then LeBron James taking control of his not only just off the court stuff but on the court and the way he. Uh, structured his contracts and, and also these business dealings. I think that did set the tone for another generation below him, and and a lot of these guys thinking more like businessmen on top of the layer of yes, I'm an athlete, but how do I leverage this moment? And a lot of people, one of my pet peeves is when people say, "Well, he's got enough money. What does he need anymore?" Right. Like based off of what? Right. Like as if you were in that position, you wouldn't still want to get more money if it was available to you. It's such a stupid thing to say. But I think that LeBron James is leveraging all the things that he's doing now because it, it, the athlete ascension, right, from a financial perspective happens at such a different level than the normal human, right? We we sort of hit a, a top peak probably in the 40s, 50s where you're at totally. your financial peak and then you start to kind of gradually move downwards towards retirement where they only have – and this is LeBron's. He's, he's an outlier. They, you only have a finite time to make – your your net worth, your your complete lifetime's worth. So in your estimation, do you see him in the same light as a game changer or is there anybody else that you've kind of picked out and, and looked yeah, at no, that
0: way? I, absolutely. I think, you know, there's there's not much Le- LeBron has done wrong, right? Like it, it's pretty wild to just look it's at crazy the, the, the track record. Like maybe Space Jam two. Um
2: it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was all right. It was all right. But, <laughs>
0: he got his back for that so i won't i won't get him and that was his introduction into into hollywood but like you know just for a guy like that at 17 18 19 years old to start to start to think about the world this way and to make it happen this way and know that it is finite Yeah, you know that's the big thing right like we'll see when he retires does he retire gracefully or does he or does he kind of go this route of like a Brett Favre and Michael Jordan where they kind of go to a different team and a different or shaquille o'neal that's the part of the psyche that I want to try to figure out, right? Because we haven't seen that yet. The, the athlete that ages grace, gracefully out and can kind of pull back into a completely different career, right? Tom Brady is another example of that, um, where I think he's blossomed really late in his career in terms of the branded part of his his, his identity, right? Like I two years ago, I probably didn't like if somebody was like played a tape of Tom Brady just saying something normal, I wouldn't have identified it as Tom Brady's voice because he just didn't talk. Right. Like he didn't talk about anything. And now he's starting to develop it. Yeah. And I felt like that was intentional that he just let his his game play on the field. So he's another one that I look at where I think a lot of on, on the NFL side of things, people look at it and go, oh, wow, he waited till he was 40 years old to start really giving more of his personality and giving more of who he actually is. And it's a little bit of fun, right? It's not right for everybody as, as somebody who's grew up a giants fan. I like, but also a Michigan fan. I have this weird relationship with Tom Brady where like, you know, I root for him because of the Michigan stuff, but I also like loathe him for the Patriots stuff. Um, But, but yeah, I think what, what it's done, which is so cool is you, you see these athletes at the top of their game taking on these new challenges I think it inspires that next tier below and that again, that next tier below is all star caliber athletes, but it shows them that it's more than just going out there and playing the game. And, and it's more than just making the money. You You actually can kind of now have civic discourse, right? You can go out there and talk about things that matter to you, that matter to your family, matter to your community. And you know that it's not going to cost you money on the back end, right? You know, you're not going to get cut for having these types of opinions.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting because I think that um, a lot of athletes, if you look even like back in 2014, 2015, like Derek Jeter is actually similar to um, uh, you know to Tom Brady in the fact. Absolutely. That he, and I think he's smart just the same way. And maybe that that is a smart way of like, hey, put it all on, on the field and then towards your retirement, start something really cool. Um, and I think that – Kobe was similar, you know, rest in peace, and I think that he was on. He was going to probably keep on going in the fact that he, you know, he did do his marketing on the side, but um, but then he was, you know, he was an Oscar uh, uh, winner, you know, late in his career, um, and and I think that he was going to start building something before that, you know, a tragic accident. But I, I think there's so I feel like that's not the case anymore. Like everyone is trying to figure out during their career, yeah. not. You know, waiting till they were 40, you know, to do it.
0: Yeah, um, I, I agree. Cause the, the generation before, there's kind of two paths when you retired, right? You could you could be one of the lucky few to get a color commentator job on ESPN or 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 be kind of a chucklehead on on some of the Sunday shows, right? Or you build some car washes and in, in your or you know, have a a restaurant and just kind of quietly retire in the town that you want to be and and be kind of the local hero in that town. And I think a lot of athletes realize like that's not what they want. They want to kind of take advantage of the equity that they have right now, take advantage of the star attraction that they have. And, you know, again, I I know LeBron knows this, but a lot of players know if you reach out to a company, especially a startup company or or venture capital firm and say, hey, LeBron James wants a meeting with you, who's going to turn that down? (laughs) right so they have that advantage right now too right where like they might not have that 10 15 years from now
1: where the brands sit in all of this we we've seen some evolution towards the relationship they have with athletes and advertising and maybe some do it better than others in integration i wouldn't ask you to call out ones that are not doing it well but where have you seen it kind of move from here where brands are now getting involved and and who's doing it well and what could be done maybe better to to better integrate with with the athlete.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, overall still this brand integrate, you know, branded content's been around forever, but like the way that we're talking about it, right, where there's like real brand integration, it feels fun, it it leverages the player's personality is still pretty nascent. And what I'm excited about is the fact that really good brands are embracing that and saying, we might have our brand book, we might have, you know, a stack of 300 pages on what our brand will and will not do. But we're going to be flexible because this person fits what our profile and, and makes sense for us, and we're going to listen to them because they're more connected to the potential audience that we have. So those are the types of, of partnerships that I get really excited about. And when I look at and say, "Okay, cool," like I, I see that you you're not just again taking uh, an athlete and kind of throwing them into your commercial and letting it work. Like I'll give I'll give credit to Subway. <laughs> like actually, with the, with the Seth Curry stuff, like the. Like Seth Curry has kind of a little like off-kilter humor and they played with that. And like the way that they edited and cut that commercial with him is actually pretty funny and pretty cool because it plays to how he actually is on the court and, and plays to actually his personality when you talk to his his you know fellow Golden State Warriors. Uh, of who he is, so like e- even that, right? Like that's just a brand spot. That's there's no branded content there. That's just using an athlete in a sponsorship way, but it's it's more about using leveraging their personality rather than putting them in weird moments. I will I I will call this out because I'm I'm such a baseball fan, and it still frustrates me with baseball, but we got to We got to get to a point with baseball players where they don't have to wear their uniforms in TV spots. It's the,
2: <laughs> that's it a great like
0: point. Actually.
2: I feel like a lot of baseball spots, like ads, it feels yeah. like they're back, like, you know, whatever. Um, uh, literally doing those things where they're like i use this uh this tobacco all the time you know what i mean like yeah. it's
0: it stuck there I, I mean i i tried to find it, i can't find it and, and maybe like kudos for home depot for like getting rid of it but uh there was a home depot one where it's like john smoltz and somebody else and they're walking through home depot in their full atlanta braves outfit and and their cleats on like buying crap for their house and i'm like i know that's john smoltz <laughs> Like, like, why can't we do this? And the other, uh, T-Mobile, who, which has been a, a great brand partner for major league baseball. Same thing with Bryce Harper. They, they almost got away from it. A couple of years ago, they had a commercial where he was in like a uh, Washington nationals onesie. He was still, he it was like a pajama. Like, yeah, he was, he was in pajamas. He was in a pajama onesie, but it had the Washington nationals logo here and it had his name on the back. And I'm like, man, if, if you don't know Bryce Harper, this makes no sense. And it still makes no sense with, with his, with his uniform. So that that's my one like pet peeve that I will call out is like, I want to get to a place where major league baseball players faces and personalities are known enough that they don't have to wear their Jersey inside of commercials.
1: Yeah. I think the, the marketers are always trying to get to where you are. I think yeah. there's a, unfortunately a lot of brand managers with ego that says I spent this money. You damn right. People are going to know we're working with Bryce Harper and the nationals and that yeah. and until we get away from that. Yeah, unfortunately, that's just where we are.
0: Yeah, I, and I don't remember the the brand, but there's one with Mike Trout that's like he's in his workout gear, but it like the whole time underneath it just says Mike Trout, professional baseball player. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, so that that's tricky. That that's going to be tricky. That's but that is where the NBA and the NFL have such a leg up, right? Like, especially the NBA. You know, like. Love or hate some of the things that that the NBA has done over the over the past few years and to evolve their sports. One of the best ones that they've done is allow their players to have personality and allow them to shine through. Because you just you, you see the diversity the diversity in the the personalities. They're not all just these you know uh, one one dimensional types of people. They all have different likes and different interests, and that's cool. That's that's fun for the the, the casual fan, and that's also fun for the hyper fan to know those different personalities.
2: It's it's interesting because. You know, when it comes to NFL, I feel like it's such a uh, dichotomy. Like, I feel like some, you know, you get like the Peyton Mannings and, and and it's like, and you get so much personality and you do, they do so many ads and a lot of them are terrible, but a lot of, you know, there's, there's, there's really funny ones as well. But then I feel like you don't know most of the league, you know, but um, it's, it's weird because I still think that, if you think about it from an outside perspective, you're like, Oh yeah, but they're in, in so many different advertisements, but it's probably only like 5%, you know?
0: Of, yeah. Of the-, the NFL has a real difficult problem there. Cause you know, look at a guy like JJ watt, right? Like hyper marketable. Awesome. Awesome dude. Like just genuine dude. Um, he's been hurt the last, what, three or four seasons, like season ending injuries. So like for a brand to put all of their chips in on JJ watt, who has, fantastic personality has like the brother story of other players in there kind of has that come under is a big gamble because he might not play the entire season um and you know i think it is it's even worse now than than it's ever been in terms of like average career of an nfl player it's like two two and a half years is is the average nfl career now so the anomalies are the tom brady's and peyton manning's who are able to consistently go out there and perform and then turn it into advertising dollars
1: what I, what I find interesting is Baker Mayfield because he came out of the draft as the number one pick. I would say in comparison to a lot of the other athletes that were in college the in, in football was not at the top level like an Andrew Luck or even a Trevor Lawrence this year as far as touted prospects or being the number one guy. Now, he did have a personality at Oklahoma. We saw him dancing. We saw him doing some things to get some attention. But then he goes to a market like Cleveland, you're like, wow, that's really not a big market. Don't know where he's gonna fit as far as his outside opportunities and advertising. Yet we see him in a ton of commercials. Yeah. And now the issue is he's in all these big branded commercials, but the success level isn't there, and there's a lot of scrutiny on him. And and I don't think it's this is not necessarily a commentary on him as a, as a football player, but as a brand. Is there too early of a time to jump on a personality? What do you do if you're a Home Depot or or one of these bigger brands that have attached yourself to a player like that who now might not be a franchise quarterback moving forward?
0: Yeah, I think to be really mean about it, like never bet on a Browns quarterback is just, <laughs> <laughs> should, should be every single no. brand. It's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, like start there, right? Like, is he on the Browns? Ugh. No, right it's not let's right. not do it but you know secondarily like i, I again I've never met ba- Baker Mayfield, but like the vibe that I get is like I know this dude I've hung out with this dude like this is a guy that like you know he 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 might not be your best friend but he's like your friend's friend and he comes and he just you can have provides some beers good with you, right and yeah he, and provides good times and you're yeah, like I, lo- I, I want more of that guy um but then when you get more of him you might be like oh okay that okay he's doing the same dance that he did last time okay he's got a he's got a roster and and so that might be like the tough part for baker right now is just like he's kind of plateaued and he he's gonna be a very good football player and he'll have a very good career but he might not be this kind of change agent for the nfl that some of these brands might might think of and i gotta say like all kudos to him he probably crushes it in those those meetings when when he's meeting with like hulu and all these other partners Cause he seems very game. He he seems very humble about, and he, he's very confident, but he also seems very like has a humility to himself that he can play. Like, listen, I know this is silly and I know this is frivolous, but let's do it anyway. So like, I think sure. that's what wins him over with brands is that flexibility in who he is. Um, I, think I he's just,
2: also, he also has a, uh, a story. He's like, uh, um, yeah. you know, like he's short, uh, like I feel like people. What I mean? Didn't he have like a very interesting short story in college too? Like he he wasn't a starter and like wasn't expected yeah. to be. Um, and like people love those stories, you know. Oh, everybody so loves I,
0: an underdog story. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So you know that I think that. And then I remember we were pitching uh him uh at our at our last agency, and um you know I think his name is 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 we had his face on a um a piece of toast, and he and they and they they love the idea of like him having uh you know the burning, burning his face on toast, and that was that almost went through. I don't know if it actually happened, but um, you know, I think he's open to those kind of things, and he's got a name that you can market in funny ways too. So
0: yeah, and it 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 really is that like classic QB name, right? That like you, th- it's, it's a name yeah, that's a quarterback. It's just it, it's an obvious quarterback name that like yeah. would be in some sort of fictional movie on Friday Night Lights yep. or something like that. So that plays like totally well. for yeah. it's, it's, it's
1: such a tricky space too because it's like, and then you look at State Farm right with all of these commercials with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Now he's embroiled in sort of controversy, and he's he's all over the place. How do you how do you you know present him and, and play both sides? It's just it's a complicated space I think too yeah. when you're when you're looking at athletes. You know, if I was on that side, I don't know what, what, what you do in terms of attaching yourself and making sure you make the right play. But to me, it's, if you know, you know who the person is for a couple years, at least, you know, if, yeah. if we get into their career a little bit and you can at least have some knowledge and some trust that, that the person you're attaching your brand to is either going to have success or they're not going to be, you know, involved in some controversy that you're going to have to back out of. I, I think totally Aaron Rodgers is
2: having a breakdown. I really do. I think he's having like some kind of mental. Maybe not on like a like you know he needs to be committed, but something's going on with him. It just it, I, it's it's weird.
0: <laughs> it it just might be the classic like I'm at the tail end of the the career, the thing that I've spent my entire life doing. Oh my gosh, what's happening? Right, like mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> sprinkling a little QAnon, sprinkling a little like crazy disinformation and misinformation, and there you go. I, I you know one of the things. Concerns me with him because some players you look at and they just go like, "No, I didn't do my research. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just I, I'm not feeling getting the vaccine." It's scary when they go, "I've done my research and this is the decision that I've made." This is the conclusion
1: <laughs> that you came to. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, like I, I at least respect someone who's like, "No, I don't have time to read about anything. Right. I'm playing football and I yeah. want to play football, so I'm not getting the vaccine." I, I respect that a little bit, but the research part and coming to this conclusion just scares me. Cause what are like, you okay. researching?
2: What are you reading? Yeah. Like,
0: I, yeah, I, I, exactly. I just, and he
2: seems like an intelligent guy until he says
0: 100%. That, that's that's again, the other part that concerns me is like, you, you, he's come across, you graduate from Cal. He's come across like really intelligent his entire career. Well, yeah.
1: the other space that I thought we could touch on too is, is your thoughts on NIL. And this kind of plays into that. And I know yeah. it's a boy talk about another sort of, hot, hotly debated sort of topic and where you fall on it on both sides. And mainly not necessarily like focusing on NIL in terms of if it's right or wrong or whether college kids should get paid or how they get paid, but more on, you know, we just talked about like thinking about your opportunities as an athlete and brands uh, while you're playing. Now we're even to the point where at high school level, you can start to to map that out and maybe potentially, You know get to a place in your career where you have other opportunities that are gonna be off the field what are your
0: thoughts so far on um, nil i i'm extremely pro and extremely bullish and not for the you know Heisman Trophy potent candidates, right? Like those those four or five people every year are gonna get paid and they're gonna get sponsorship deals. They're gonna make it to the NFL. What I'm really excited about is that, you know, second string linebacker for a non-power five being able to make eight hundred bucks a month and and have money to go take his girlfriend out on a date, right? Like that's game changing. <laughs> I just remember when I was 20, 21 years old and like scrounging for quarters to buy a dollar Wendy's cheeseburger <laughs> while in college mm-hmm. and just thinking about these athletes who like, and I had a, I had a part-time job. I was working at a, I was bartending. I was, I was working at the, the school library. So like I had money coming in, but it was 515 an hour. These guys, they can't even work so, because their, jo- their, their, their job, what's paying for their education is practicing five six hours a day traveling all across the country on friday thursday friday saturday so if they can spark if like for me it's really exciting that it can kind of it would. It's not necessarily leveling of the playing field, but but it's it's putting a little bit of money into the pockets of people who have sacrificed so much and probably will never get the chance to make it to the NFL. I think that's the part that that really gets me excited. And and I might be misquoting it here. I think it was BYU. I, I saw I saw some partnerships, uh, and this is what I really like. Right, like a I, if it's not BYU, sorry, we'll pretend it is right now. But um, they said we're gonna. What we're going to do is provide the scholarships to all the walk-on candidates, right? Uh, the the players that have committed and are on your scout team and don't have a scholarship, our NIL deal with you is going to be based off, off of getting them scholarships so they don't have to, so they have the financial security to continue their dream. That's the stuff I love. That's the stuff that, that makes sense to me. And yeah, you know, Dr. Pepper is going to spend millions of dollars uh, on, the, on the Heisman candidates, and that's awesome as well. Like, I, I feel like those people should get paid and start to do it. Um, I don't think it does anything bad to the sport i the the tractors who say like well this makes it go from amateur to semi-pro um i i just think that line of thinking for me it just doesn't make sense like these these kids have already considered this as semi-pro since they're like 13 or 14 years old give them a little bit of money so that they can go have like take people out on dates and and have a little bit of fun
2: Well, I think this is the conversation we would have had with uh, the other Keith Hernandez. I feel like we should <laughs> dive into marketing. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'd like to just hear more about you know your Hall of Fame marketing career um, yeah. and, and you know what you're what you're doing now and and you know how you how do you came to this point?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I got into advertising. I think like most people, which is completely by accident. Um, you know, I, I always joke with people like nobody's ever. Uh, four or five years old and and in kindergarten saying like, you know, when I, when I grow up, I want to be an advertising executive. Um, I hope not. Right. Like hopefully they have different aspirations at that age. Uh, But there might be that one frugal kid in your class. Um, But yeah, so I, I went to college. uh, I went to Miami of Ohio, actually the same year that Ben Roethlisberger was uh, graduated. So like seeing his deterioration side note, Mm -hmm. like reminds me of Mm -hmm. my (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> of, of, of how I'm deteriorating physically as well, um, uh, but he's won Super Bowl, so I can digress there. But uh, so, went to school in Miami, Ohio. My major was creative writing. My my minor was marketing, and so you know, I always thought that what I wanted to do was you know maybe create the next great American novel down the road, Uh, but make commercials, right? Like I thought that that was a really fun thing. And when I started to learn more about that, I I thought that was really fun. So I I did the creative writing for like narrative structure and understanding like empathy and and all that fun stuff. And then the marketing side to understand the business a little bit. Graduated from Miami and moved to Chicago. And like most creative writing majors, got a job bartending. Yeah, so I worked at a bar called Sheffield's about eight blocks away from Wrigley Field. Um, which, if you've ever been there, fantastic beer bar. Kind yeah, of again, side note: you've been to it, awesome. <laughs> uh, and I was there 2003, 2004, so it was a really fun time to be there, watching the Cubs almost make it. Um, <laughs> the bar- I was bartending the Bartman game, and and there was more grown men crying in on my shoulder than I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> but it it was, and the city was just alive during this time period. Um, so I mentioned that because there's this guy, Justin, who I've continued to be friends with, who was working at the Onion newspaper, and his job was to sell local print advertising for the Onion newspaper in the Chicago market. And he would come into my Tuesday shift, and we would just talk about baseball. I'm a big Mets fan. He's a Cubs fan. And we'd shoot the shoot the shit forever about that, and he would grab beers. Uh, and one day, he you know, worked up the nerve and was like, hey, could you introduce me to the general manager or the person in charge of advertising? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. But can you do me a favor? I'm, you know, This is not what I want to do my life. Could you introduce me to somebody at The Onion where I can get a, an internship, an editorial internship? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So I introduced him to Mike D, who was the general manager. We ended up running like a quarter page or a six page ad. And I got an internship at The Onion newspaper on the editorial side. So essentially what I was doing was giving the AV club their mail, uh, but also writing these 50 page or 50 word reviews of restaurants which I thought was going to be dope. I, I was like, okay, cool. I get to try these restaurants. And <laughs> the, the publisher, Chris, uh, was like, no, 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 no. Just call the restaurant up and ask them what's good on their menu. <laughs> oh no! And, and so it, I, I call, I called it restaurant rodeo cause I would call up like during lunchtime and be like, Hey, so what's on your menu. That's delicious. Like how would you describe the decor? Like, and basically the hosts were trying to get me off the phone every single time. But, um, that, that turned into a, a good relationship with The Onion. But again, then Chris Cramner uh, was pretty honest in saying, like, editorial roles are really hard to get. Uh, so this guy, Matt McDonough, I don't know if you've ever met him, he's been in ad sales forever, gave me a call and said, Listen, there's no roles on the editorial side, but if you want to work the ad sales side, um, I'd be happy to take you on as a, a junior executive. You know, we're always looking for people. At the time, I said, No. About ten months later, I'd moved from Chicago to New York, and he—he he was also in New York. Grabbed a little lunch with him and decided to go into it, and I just really loved it, right? Like the—the the, my philosophy with sales and the, the way that I had always kind of had this kind of career arc was, I want to be advocating really cool things and really cool people and going out to talk. Like if I'm going to go talk to you about advertising, <laughs> I want it to be about something fun and cool. And you know, at the time I was 24, 25 years old, the onion was really fun and really cool. And we were doing really innovative stuff. We started to breaking in into branded content. We started doing original videos. We started doing, they started uh, licensing TV shows to Comedy Central, so it was a really fun place to kind of cut my teeth. Uh, I'll fast forward through some of the other stuff, like working at Microsoft and and working at a company called Blip TV, which is a branded content thing. To say like I really cut my teeth um, at BuzzFeed. I, I joined BuzzFeed. Uh, I was under. I, I was definitely like employee between number seventy and eighty. I wish I kind of remembered that. But um, one of the fun things that I remember from that was. Uh, when I was interviewing, trying to figure out how much revenue that they had. And, and, you know, I asked, uh, you know, what would I be responsible for in terms of revenue? And and the HR person said, well, we did 4 million last year. And in my head as an individual contributor, I was like, okay, 4 million per seller, that's pretty good. And then she goes, no, 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 the entire company did 4 million last year, but we want to grow. Um, and for me, one of the most fun parts was riding that wave, right? I would say I was kind of on the, the, the first, round of sellers that started there we went from four million to 300 million in about three and a half years and it was just wild exponential growth and and it's funny because when I talk to people about BuzzFeed now they're like well yeah you had a hundred million viewers you, you had you know all these different things you had 200 million dollars invested from you know lair Hippo and Andreessen Horowitz and and NBC Universal but the reality in 2011 they had I think raised 10 million dollars. And the comScore score number was like 8 million on Buzzfeed. So we were actually starting, we were, you know, the, the sales and marketing teams were just as critical as the editorial teams to kind of building the hype and the interest in what, in what, uh, we were doing. Um, and I really loved it too, because, you know, as I shared, I I was kind of this writing major, I was able to kind of flex a little bit of the creative chops and, and creative versatility with that role and, and dive into, rather than just selling what I called real estate, like what all display advertising feels like, right. Is you want to put your cool ad next to our cool content? cool, here's the price, let's go. It was a really collaborative experience. And and we had to, it was trickier, it was more difficult, it was many times more annoying. But at the end of the day, I felt it was more fun and more fruitful for everybody involved. Um, And that, for me, I I realized at that point, I was like, I always want to be in this realm. If I'm going to be in advertising and marketing and sales, I want to be sure that I'm on the branded content side, because it's it's fun. <laughs> it's it's really cool to and, and nerd out and dissect. You know what the brand strategy is, what they're going after, and how can we play a little bit of a part in that and help elevate their brand to our audience. Well, forget all that. How many fires have you put out in uh, Woodstock? <laughs> right. Oh, good. Good job looking at that. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah. So I'm a volunteer firefighter up here. One of the one of one of the things I didn't realize, you know, because i I grew up outside of the city. Um, I, I grew up in White Plains, New York, and growing up there, I have a lot of friends that are firefighters who this is their full- time job. This is what they do for a living and they get paid a good salary, and they, they they, you know, they've made a great career out of it. Like one of my buddies is actually gonna retire from it. Um, and then living in the city, same thing. you the firefighters that you meet, full-time job. But outside of that, outside of the cities and outside of you know the major suburban areas, The firefighter firefighter forces all volunteer. Um, And so when I found that out and and I was up here, you know, really it came down to a couple of things. One, they helped me out uh, in a a pinch when when I really needed them. And so I met a lot of the firefighters that way that are in my local community. And two, for me, I looked at it and said, man, if I, in 50, 60 years, if I'm lucky enough to be alive at that point, and I look back at this time during the pandemic and somebody asked me like, what did you do during the pandemic? And I said, like, I wrote some really cool tweets that got a lot of likes and a lot of retweets. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't love myself. And so, one of the big things that I've, uh, that I'm doing with the firefighters is trying to give back to the community. Luckily, we don't have to put out a lot of fires. Um, luckily, structure fires are not a common occurrence here. There's usually two or three a year. Hopefully, I'm not like jinxing it. But you know, we, we have <laughs> had to put out car fires, had to put out brush fires. It. it You know, gotta say, like, part of that is like, it's pretty cool using some of these tools and learning some of these tools. But the reality is, a lot of our calls, we're also part of the EMS team. So, a lot of our calls are supporting uh, people that have grown older in our community. Uh, Woodstock, where I live, is a community of uh, great people that have, you know, started to become 65, 70, 75 years old. And as you get up there in age, you start to have more trouble, right? Falling down is is harder like you might break something um you know more and more people are going through difficult things so a lot of my role to be honest on the fire department is getting to the scene and asking the emt how that how i can help them and that might be bringing a bag in assisting to get the person onto a stretcher assisting assisting the ambulance driver and getting in um and, and and it for me it's been a really fun way to give back to the community and Build relationships with men and women uh, in the fire department that are doing great work and going out there.
1: That's so cool. That's, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. We certainly commend you for that. I think it's thanks, a, man. It's a great transition because I know in marketing we put out fires every day. So <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate that, uh, I appreciate you're actually doing it now.
0: Yeah, man. It, it's funny. I, I got to use that one time. Um, there was a there was a car fire. So there's a I I think I I won't speak out of, too much out of turn here, but there was a there was a guy who's painting an interior of a house in the woods and something happened and his car caught on fire. We I won't say what it was uh cuz whatever I don't want to <laughs> get into that. But I got the call and I went up there and you know had to suit up, put on all the gear, had to hose it down and sit there and make sure the whole fire went out and I can and I didn't realize like it takes a long time like the fire putting out part can happen in seconds. The the amount of pressure, the amount of water pressure that comes out, it can be put out in seconds, but the detail work that happens after that to ensure that the fire doesn't spread and that it's all taken care of sometimes takes hours. And so when I got back and had this adrenaline rush, I looked and I was about 15 minutes late for a client call and I did get to deliver the line. I'm so sorry. I had to go put out a fire. And they're (laughs) like, we know we're swamped too. And I was like, no. And my my business partner, Chris was like, no, no, literally he just put out a fire. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it was pretty fun to be able to drop that line once. I love well, it. It's well, awesome. Elliot, you cannot use that excuse. We know you're
1: not <laughs> a volunteer fireman. So, um, you cannot use that for being late on your meetings.
2: Now I'm going to do it. Now, now oh, yeah.
1: I'm gonna, uh, now I'll well. do it for that. Uh, well, this is a great discussion. We appreciate it. Keith Hernandez, the real Keith Hernandez, as we'll say, um, you know, he took the leap uh, similar to us, you know, forming Heartland Group within the past uh, year and a half of, you know, being on our own and starting a business. And we've all talked about how um, the feeling that we get for doing that and kind of making the leap and how positive it's been. So these conversations are always great. We appreciate your time as always on the 50th podcast for uh, we need to be doing that. So definitely one that we're excited about. And Keith, uh, why don't you tell us your social handle so people out there can follow you and and I know you uh, drop a lot of information out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, first off, congrats on, on getting fifty Thank done. You. I think we all we all know as as you build these podcasts out, I think it's something like seventy five percent stuff after three episodes. So a lot of this is just getting it going and getting the endurance going. But I've had a fun time listening to your interviews. Uh, my social handle is Keith r hernandez on twitter that r is very important if you don't put it in you'll get the baseball player um i I tried to get verified before him and (laughs) and it didn't work (laughs) but but yeah keith r hernandez uh on on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. On Instagram, if you really want to follow me on Instagram, I don't post much. It's Cookie Panderer, Uh, Because when I created it, I didn't think Instagram was going to be as big as it was. And now I just enjoy and embrace keep, keeping that handle. Oh, man. Launch Angle, we started in 2018. Um, and the idea behind it is we work with New companies, new startups, as well as established companies to develop new revenue streams and and bring those to market and, and put those out there. So what does that mean? A new startup might just look at it and say, we want to build out a branded content team or we want to build out a studio. We work with them internally first to uh build out and understand and identify what the go-to-market story is, what the pricing and packaging should be. And then we help them bring it to the market and introduce them to advertisers and clients that might make the most sense. For big blue chip brands that might be, hey, we want to delve into e-commerce or understand new new revenue streams outside of the things like display advertising and branded content. Can you help identify those things and do the research for us? And then also be that kind of first sales team out there and market for them. So if anybody's looking to do that if anybody wants to have a conversation about the space you can see I can go I go on tangents and have a lot of fun uh, but I'm really passionate about the space and I'm really you know the core of what we're trying to do is help people explore and identify how do we make money in the in the passion project that we've developed social handles uh, at launch angle. Uh, thank you Twitter for giving me that one. Uh, there was an 11 year old in Iowa who originally got that handle <laughs> and and they gave him they gave him a notice. Uh, tweet something in the next 90 days or, or your handle will be will be given away. <laughs> so so thank you for that. Um, and then on um, on on Instagram, it's launchangle as well. And then it's launchangle.com uh on the website. And if you want to reach me directly, it's Keith at launchangle.com.
1: That's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening to the We Need to Be Doing That podcast. Visit WeNeedToBeDoingThat.com for more episodes and contact information.